0: Is Mass Effect one of the best games of all time? No, 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 no. Let's get this going. I think we're rolling. So. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Best Games of All Time podcast. I am Aaron, I'm here with my co-host Brandon. Hello. And tonight we are talking about Mass Effect, and we're talking about Mass Effect just sort of in the tradition of doing episodes on games that people are actually interested in. Uh, Because I think it's safe to say that some of the games, like a certain... uh, PC game that was released in 1999 that was mostly ignored at the time and is still really unpopular now. And if you just look at our episode list, you'll be able to find out which one that was. Um, wasn't one that is necessarily climbing up the search terms, but we're talking about a game tonight that uh, is a popular and well-liked and beloved Game and that is of course uh, the 2007 RPG Mass Effect uh, from Bioware and published by Microsoft Game Studios and yeah I think we're gonna we're gonna just jump right in we have uh, sort of differing perspectives on this game because I just played it for the first time via the remastered collection that just came out and uh, but Brandon played it at the time when it came out for Xbox 360 in 2007. And uh, I thought it'd just be interesting to lead off with talking about like what is the meaning of Mass Effect because something I've noticed just in the game sort of being remastered is a flood of articles on some of the bigger gaming blogs like Kotaku, Polygon, that kind of of thing Um, just about people writing like, here's what the game meant to me. It feels so good to get back to these characters and get back into this world. Um, so there's a real nostalgia piece to it. There's a real. Um, it seems like an element of this game being a a real foundational part of what these people might say. It's like here's here's the games that are important to me, and it, it I'm sort of just picking up that Mass Effect was one of those games for a lot of people do, what was it like when it came out do you remember it being a big deal just like in your friend group or whatever
1: yeah i mean it was like it was like the lunch table topic at the time um which i think does say something because it, it's an rpg and it's a sci-fi rpg right mm-hmm. which is also at the time like that's not a thing that's really happening um like rpgs are around you know then but um to have you know full engagement in a group of people with a title like that i think does speak something to to what it was offering then right like something different um and something exciting um and then then you know also being <sighs> young idiot male mm-hmm. gamers like it had it had stuff you know that had the uh, romance stuff uh, mm-hmm. that was causing a scene outside of the game itself. So it wasn't just um, like a niche gamer moment; like it was kind of a cultural gamer gaming moment that bled outside of the gaming sphere.
0: And that's so interesting because I think the the sex scene stuff and the romance stuff more broadly. Right, it did have the sort of outsize impact yeah. Um, outside of games. But even within games, it's like the people who... It, Xbox, I remember at the time, kind of being like a masculine-oriented brand, you know? and But yet here's this game that is about falling in love or encourages you to fall in love with someone. And uh you know, that's not something that you'd typically associate with shooting games, um, with I think a lot I mean, Xbox was Halo to me at the mm-hmm. time. That's like what I thought of when I thought of Xbox. Uh so this game just um not being that way, um, I I think is is really cool. And I I think uh it speaks you know, there's, there's that type of thing is much more common nowadays in games, and uh, it wasn't at the time, especially among U.S. games, mm-hmm. and so uh, yeah, it's just it's very neat to think about it now and, and think of it being a trendsetter in that way of, you know, pre- making romance a big portion of the game, presenting sort of like non traditional sexual relationships between. Mm-hmm beings for for lack of a better term very cool in in those ways
1: yeah yeah and i i want to there's something to you know talking about the difference of experiences that we had right so me playing it at release and you playing it now um that, you know this there's this thing that gaming offers with the ability to re-release it. and movies you know you can do this too like a lot of media even you know music you can uh, remaster and all that but uh what gaming is getting now is that moment that those other media uh, formats get, which is the chance to kind of recollect and Mm -hmm. reshape and remind and like rebuild what the community is. And I think that's a cool shift of what's happening. This isn't of course, okay. Money grab. Yep. It's a business, blah, 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 but it's, it's with purpose, right? It's this has meaning to a lot of people. And I think, that reflection now looking back you know gamers able able to replay this or just Mm -hmm. be reminded of it and say you know wow look at the impact it did have on me like i remember playing that Mm -hmm. um it's a cool thing that's happening with games now it's like the next like kind of step in that uh you know here i am thinking about how immature you know you're talking about the male-dominated culture of gaming in that era uh and then you know oh sex blah blah but really yeah those were those were over recognized at the time and now looking Mm -hmm. back they're blips but it it's a it's a cool development or or maturation of gamers to to have Mm -hmm. this reflection now looking back yeah i don't know
0: yeah i mean uh, when i was when we were um looking through just sort of chatting and shooting the shit about like what what are we going to cover next One of the things that made me think mass effect was a good candidate was just the outpouring of articles of people being like this game meant so much to me Mm -hmm. uh at the time and and uh i think we've covered some of the reasons for that um i what stands out to me just as someone who didn't play it at the time is just the incredible ambition of releasing a game that had a very long development cycle. Um, I think it was over three years and much of that was involved in just building up the tech, knowing that the game was intended to be the first in a series and not only the tech, but the, the world building and the story and the lore, which the game is just sort of bursting at the seams with, right? and that is such a neat thing, I think, in a modern context, just one because like what if it failed? Mm-hmm. and to have a publisher have put it wasted basically the money funding here's here's initial startup development sort of tasks that are gonna support a three game project. The game fails, all that was wasted money, right so
1: yeah, and you know this is like one of those things where you see this all the time or repeatedly where you have a, an established game studio and they make some games and they're like, we're going to do something radical and different and it totally flops. And it seems, you know, that's just maybe I don't have any data to back that up, but it seems that that's more often the way it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and here you have this, you have Bioware, right? And you know, the Knights of the Old Republic, Jade Empire, like they've got RPGs down and they've got, they've, they've established themselves as, as capable Um, But then instead of doing something, like continuing on with Star Wars, an established universe and community, they're like, we're going to really unleash ourselves and just take this massive, ambitious bite. Um, And yeah, I think even as my point is, as established as they were, Uh I don't think it was a sure bet, you know, and I think that's still there is something to. The willingness to take that risk and then also the capability of the team to execute on it so
0: yeah it, and that's such a good point because i don't know if it was an option for them but it's like what is a better bet than releasing a star wars game it's like there's a sales floor that you're gonna hit no matter what so we're not only not going to make another star wars game we're going to make a space opera type Mm -hmm. game but it's not gonna be star wars that's pretty cool in that context um yeah and i you know i i mentioned the publisher taking a chance on it it's like microsoft at the time um i was one of the big gaming babies at the time (laughs) who was like I don't like Microsoft, you know? I want to play my Japanese games and, like, celebrating the the Xbox 360 failing and the Xbox 2 failing in Japan. Um, And I didn't like Halo. But looking back on it now, I'm so glad they did because they were um, putting money toward a lot of really cool, ambitious projects, Mass Effect being one. Um, Japanese developers, too. Hironobu Sakaguchi, the Final Fantasy guy, doing those two RPGs Mm -hmm. for the 360. And as I understand it, it was a time when that sort of support was needed in particular Mm -hmm. because because devs were having such a hard time coming to grips, Japanese devs in particular, with just the capabilities of the consoles of that generation, PS3 and Xbox 360, learning how to use Unreal Engine, that type of stuff, all that stuff took time, but Microsoft was one of the publishers that helped make that happen. Xbox Live Arcade too, just having a platform for mm-hmm. indies to. Yeah, I remember like not understanding what an indie game was at the time, which was Braid. I was like, this is a little tiny ass game, like, yeah, which is retro looking and pretty cool. Um, and braid, I didn't. We should
1: probably talk about Braid on one mm-hmm. of our episodes and yeah. Just, that's a total random aside but anyway
0: yeah because because very important I
1: think, yeah i think there's a lot there not just the game but like you're saying like xbox live arcade and all of that like that time in gaming was yeah i remember that it was like what is this you're gonna have little mini games i can mm-hmm. play like right to the concept but i was like ah, sure okay give me you know peggle or whatever sure <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. But cool that Mi- that Microsoft was mm-hmm. there and I want to apologize to Microsoft for being a big anti Halo uh baby.
1: I mean they deserved it. Microsoft in two thousands, they they deserve all the hate that they get. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, now you know, yeah. Where we are now, you can look back and and maybe maybe we were all a little harsh. But I, I mean, not, not me. I was a Microsoft fanboy. I was an Xbox fanboy. I was I was all in. I was a Halo bro. Still uh-huh. I am. Can't <laughs> win. Halo Infinite. it. Let's go. Uh, yeah, but but I understand the the divided camp. You know, I was doing the same thing to Sony, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. Um it was a tough time for me too, because Final Fantasy was uh changing. You mm-hmm. know, it was the some what of the was core that? team.
1: Was Ten happening?
0: Well, twelve came out what is it a year before a year a year before Mass Effect. Oh, okay. and it was a different I mean it didn't have the turn based battles. Yeah, yeah. Um, that freaked a lot of people out. Yeah, it didn't have the uh, Nobuo Uematsu music that I love so much. It had a different composer because he finally left uh, Square at that time. And yeah, I was sort of getting, you know, I was sort of like trying to find my footing again. The Sui Koden had a PS two installment that I thought sucked at the time, but I probably need to go back and revisit it. But yeah, it was a it was a tough time to me. Maybe I should have become a Halo bro. Maybe I should have just gotten a 360 and played fucking mass effect yeah man anyway back to mass effect um it has three games where people have built up these very close relationships with these digital characters and that's so cool there's this one scene in particular that um i i know is like a big deal in the mass effect community just from snooping around in it and it's the scene with Garrus in the third game. And I haven't played the third game, so I'm just kind of talking out of my ass. But apparently, the scene involves you're chilling in the Citadel and you're, you know, your old war buddies by that point. And Garrus is like, let's have a shooting contest and see who's the best shot of all. Mm-hmm. And you have the option to intentionally miss the shot to so that Garrus wins and, you know, you make him feel good. And apparently this decision is like a hot-button issue in the Mass Effect community. And, you know, people who love Garrus are like, how could you not let Garrus win? Mm -hmm. How could you choose to to hit the shot? And that just kind of speaks to, you know, it's how well it basically worked, what they were trying to do, which is like, let's build out this three-game arc where people really connect with these characters. It worked. Um and there is something just so cinematic about that kind of scene that you could imagine being in a in a film right but let's pivot there because we're going to talk a lot about the cinematic aspirations of this game later sure. down the line um
1: i do want to give credit to the to the writing you know of that, which it doesn't need. I'm, it's not like, oh, let's play, you know, let's do, let's be kind to these writers because they get no love. Like, obviously, the writing is solid here, but it's mm-hmm. it's amazing, right? That you talk about this this Garris scene in the third game. Going back to that, like, what was it like playing with everyone? You know, at release, Garris was an instant love. Like, it was just like fan favorite. You know, there was something about him that people <laughs> gravitated toward. And yeah. I think what's cool about that choice in the third game is you the thing that you loved about him. You know it, like with video games, a lot of them are just reflections, right? It's not actually that you're doing that for Garrus. You do you make that choice f- because it makes you feel good about mm-hmm. the relationship you have with this video game character. The
0: relationship with Garrus is like it's a real one because it's not Yeah. It's not the the type of thing that Doki Doki Literature Club was parodying, which is like a fake Relationship to make you feel good because it had so much buildup of like you guys becoming friends over the course of a three game arc, right? And Garrus, you accept him as a real character and personality, and that's Mm -hmm. why the scene works so well, right?
1: Yeah, and it and yes, exactly, and 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 they understood their player base and what he meant to them. And so giving those choice, that choice, you know, is a moment to define, to really clearly define, you know, who he is to you as the player, mm-hmm. um, which is just really cool. I don't know. It's just, there's something worth calling out that I'm like, Look, these guys, uh, they did a good job.
0: Yeah. It's really cool. Um, speaking of, really cool stuff i thought it would just be fun to like kind of trade some stories of just like here was my favorite part (laughs) um my favorite part of the game is the part where you are on ilos which is like the abandoned or i mean it was forcibly abandoned because all the the protheans were exterminated spoiler alert sorry (laughs) um and Usually supposed to say that before you say the spoiler.
1: It helps. It yeah. does help. Um but set it, you
0: know. it after the <laughs> the spoiler. <laughs> but uh anyway, hopefully most of the people listening to this <laughs> like the game and, and know what we're putting down here. But um it's just so cool that so you are in this you are in the ILOS like facility and there is that AI that is in there and Another cool thing the game does is make a distinction between what is an artificial intelligence and what is a virtual intelligence. Mm -hmm. I think this one is just a virtual intelligence, and it was in the sense that it doesn't think for itself. It's just responding to commands, and it's there because it's meant to just answer your questions about what um, happened to the Protheans and Mm -hmm. in the hopes that you will be able to right some of the wrongs that they weren't able to regarding the reapers and how they come in every 10,000 years or however long it is and like kill everyone basically. Yeah. And I hate exposition almost always in storytelling. I hate the scene where it, it's like, here's something that happened or where it's like fake dialogue that just has the purpose of like saying, here's some stuff that happened in the past Um, this in essence is that type of scene but the reason it works is because there is the context there of it's like this thing was put here specifically to answer your questions right it's like a a piece of technology that has been defined by the world and it's part of the protheans like the sad arc of their story right it's like we want to leave behind something to explain to people or beings or whatever you call them like what happened to us and here's a way that that you could stop them so the alien or the the vi is just explaining everything that happened to them and here's what we tried to do to stop the reapers here's how we failed here's how you can succeed um and it's one of those scenes that happens sometimes in storytelling where it explains everything and clears up a lot of mysteries and ties together a lot of stuff that you were aware of, but weren't kind of knowing how it fits together. Very awesome scene, because it's hard to do that well for the reasons I was saying. It's usually pure exposition. This scene just nailed it. So cool.
1: Yeah, they they put it right in the right place, which is at the point where you have all the information you now need to know about this world they built Mm -hmm. for you. Uh, well, you don't have, you don't have all the information you you have as much as you can have with these giant gaps. And then when you meet that AI, you're like hungry for like, that's like, what you, I can get an answer to that. I can get an Mm -hmm. answer to that. And you can just keep diving into it. And it doesn't feel like, you know, the dialogue tree crawling. Uh, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, holy shit, you know, revelation after revelation of just like, this is how it worked or this is what happened. Um, it's very satisfying
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah that was a that was a that was a great moment
0: mm-hmm. great scene
1: yeah even the music that played there was was just really cool I thought mm-hmm. um, yeah um so that that one stood out for me uh, but you already said it um, <laughs> like that was I mean because it was the same thing like I feel like that's a pretty pretty impactful offering from the game um the two for me that are a little like different one okay on a pure power fantasy scale uh or or level is when you're uh running up the side of the citadel like you have to go out it's like one of the final battles and you're literally just running up or down you know space direction whatever Mm -hmm. uh the side of this building and i i played adept and so just, it's just it's it's pure power fantasy video game mm-hmm. excellence, you know. Where I'm just like, yep, this is this is what I want. I'm a fucking badass, and I just want to run through and destroy things. And it and it also feels important, right? It's like uh-huh. I got to do this now. Like there's an urgency to it. Um, and
0: so you're as an adept, you're like picking up dudes and flinging them. basically yeah, and you're, right?
1: you're you're and you're outside in space. You're in zero gravity, and so my space powers, you know, are just like launching them into a star somewhere, you know, just like, yeah, they're gone. Like, and it just, it, it really, really satisfied, not just the power of fantasy of video games and, you know, shooter kind of elements, but space wizards, you know, here, you give mm-hmm. me a space opera, you tell me I have magic. And then now you're just letting me just annihilate people. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that one stayed with me. Um
0: That scene. I thought that I love that the game had like, a customizable difficulty sort of thing that you could mm-hmm. change on the fly. Um, and I think I played on normal difficulty and then I bumped it up um, like like one pip at a certain point in the game. yeah. And uh, that scene, just the difficulty level I was on, like it just played up perfectly. In that kind of thing, and like a final boss situation, mm-hmm. I wanna die maybe once or twice. Right. at the most, but I want it to feel hard the whole time because yeah. if it's it's too easy the the effect is just blown, right? It's it, yep. you do the music feels like the, you know the like uh epic music or whatever just feels like parody if it's too easy. Right. Um but that yeah, I I remember that scene too because it's like I'm barely getting through here. I'm taking hits, but me and my squad, are, I have to go over here and re, like revive this person in my squad, like get to the next Point where we can take cover around the corner um mm-hmm. yeah i had the same effect in that scene it was just very
1: good yeah yeah the the other thing so that's like my power fantasy right like that's the gamer answer like clearly uh i get to be a badass um but the other <laughs> one that was like earlier on that i remembered when i was on this playthrough uh obviously it was different experience but uh is it the thorian the giant like plant thing? Yeah. So that like I remember playing that and just like at that moment I think that was the first planet I went to. I, and it's it's hard to remember but anyway, the realization I had there of what this game this is like this is not just this is not like a Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. This is not just like something where like oh, alien this alien is bad. Like you have this ancient fucking plant creature Mm -hmm. that's been here. I think it's even been there since like Reaper runs like it's out survived. Yeah, because that's how anyway, Mm -hmm. that moment, that moment of just like, whoa,
0: that's such a good one.
1: This is something different. I mean, it was like, yeah,
0: it's like, what is the what the I don't know, I think about Star Wars and it has I mean, I'm not like a big Star Wars guy, so but the i think of star wars and i think of the like fucking ewoks or (laughs) like uh the like you know jar jar binks yeah 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 and then it it's like you have these giant you have the possibility of these like enormous time scales enabled by yeah civilizations like being or beings like life forms being at different stages of development yeah. when they encounter each other and this is that this series recognizes that it's like that's one of the coolest things you can do with uh space opera setting yeah. and uh it it does that you know on multiple fronts there's the reapers themselves there is the the thorian like you were talking about there's the protheans oh, too
1: the moment, the, the whole Reapers thing, when that I, I had the same moment with that. We're just like, wait, what? Like that's a ship, and mm-hmm. it's a ship and a being, and they're they're on you know, like the whole cyclical thing. Like that was so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's really neat. Like just the it, it really paid off. It, it's cooler than Star Wars to me.
1: I mean, I'm a big Star Wars fan. Uh, not the biggest, but I agree. I, I like, I have I have some complaints with Star Wars,
0: um, like so. how they cast a woman in a lead role.
1: Obviously, <laughs> huge. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's my biggest complaint about never,
1: it. could never be a Jedi. Yeah. Um,
0: that's a joke.
1: Humor. Pure humor. <laughs> um, yeah, no, like you know, what's interesting is I, I didn't. I had pieces of it put together, and then the more I kind of learn as I learn uh you know star wars it's like it's about white people (laughs) yeah and it's like then you look at it and you go oh holy shit like and you know that's gonna happen right because of the way uh our culture is working like that's not i'm not saying that's the way it should happen um but you can see how that happened um but here you have that like it's like you're saying you have unlimited possibilities because it's space and it's also in a different galaxy. Um, you can do anything and Mm -hmm. mass effect really took advantage of that and, and didn't also place humans at the center of it. Right. Mm -hmm. You you were a part of it, which is how it would actually work. Uh, we're not going to show up and be, you know, running things. Um, And I even appreciate some of the the way that the writing comes into that, too. With, you know, hey, we got this, like, the Saren guy's a bad guy. And, like, where's the evidence? Like, get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. Like, who are you? Mm -hmm. Um, But the whole thing with Mass Effect was just about, yeah, humans earning their place and and not being equals or even uh, meeting the bar. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Yeah, and then it it even does the cool thing of, like, it puts humans in an inferior position but it doesn't make the game about elevating you can play it this way if you want elevating humans to be like the supreme race in the galaxy it's you can play it in a way that's like no we should all like cooperate and and get along and that's games enable power fantasies but Mm -hmm. they should also enable stuff like that like espousing a kind of an egalitarian political point of view when you're in a situation where you're dealing with like you know peoples of different beings who have different abilities and like levels of levels of power and government and things like that um and and i thought it was gonna go one direction like when you have the kind of jingoistic scene after you get promoted to specter and everyone's like standing around clapping and it's like (laughs) well humanity is really coming up and it plays the epic music and but you can just totally not play the game that way if you want and you can even drop ashley who's like kind of racist yeah against uh like the other alien species and calls them like the bug-eyed freaks and stuff like that um so yeah that's that's cool that allows you to play that game too it's like The choices you can make in this game aren't just about like i'm either a good guy or a bad guy you can play it in different ways too and make different choices so yeah it's good i had a few scenes where i just sat there and stared at the screen for more than a minute like i don't know what to do
1: i really like that i'm sure that drives some people crazy The paralysis, right? Like, you know, oh, like I I kind of feel that way, but I also appreciate it because, again, that's the game reflecting upon you what you care about. You know, it's like this isn't just something where I'm going to flip, you know, up or down. Like, I'm actually stuck now. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, what am I going to do?
0: Yes. Yes, because the choices are not like here is. Here are two choices where, you know, the outcome and you're just choosing what you want to happen. It's like that you'll be presented with choices where it's like, I don't know what's going to happen if I say this, so mm-hmm. I'm, I have to lean on how I feel. What do I think about this character that I'm talking to? That kind of thing. They're different yeah. kinds of choices. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about... Uh, I mean, that's that's some of the stuff I loved about the game. There are some things that are, we want to flag as being like minor irritations, but we also want to emphasize that we want to think about games in a way where it's a subjective experience and you are not assessing, you should not be assessing games from the perspective of like, well, the graphics were great. And the sound design was great, but I didn't like the control, so it's like an 8 out of 10. Mm-hmm. It's like, we talked about uh, Subnautica. Uh, both, both. I mean, I, I uh, would put it on probably my top 10 favorite games that I've Absolutely. ever played. Yeah, it's a 10 for both Brandon and I, yeah. and it's nevertheless a game that has significant problems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I... You know, I think the game has other problems that keep it um, from getting to that sort of like, this is one of the best mm-hmm. level. Um, it does have some shitty stuff that I'm like, why don't you just not put it in the game rather than it marring the game experience for me. I just more was like, I would have preferred a more focused experience, Yeah, I guess. Um, like some of the side quests we talked about. How many of them did you do?
1: on my first playthrough i think i did all of them i think i was pretty into the grind uh i also had time then Mm uh you know like didn't have any responsibilities outside of work
0: so you could treat it like an rpg and play it like yeah
1: yeah like it didn't matter i could burn hours on garbage um this time i didn't you know i i didn't even bother um which, when you get to that level of something, it's not—it's not that I was speed running or that I played this so many times. I'm just going to skip it. This is my second playthrough after 15 years, uh, skipping something like that, or you know, dodging it as much as I can. That's a, that's a sign of like, yep, that shouldn't have been there. Mm-hmm.
0: Like, um, yeah, so. a lot of them are pretty low effort. I think you could say I was very into the first one I did because it felt like a almost like a dnd campaign like little side excursion mm-hmm. where it, it recycles assets but it just it has some text that delivers whatever the story was or i think it was a case where like an ai had gone mm-hmm. rogue and was like using the drones to attack the people on the base and stuff and you, so you had to go in and um all the story was delivered through text instead of having it be voice acted. And I thought that was really neat. And then I did like four more side quests or so. And I just found that like the same map was used just over and over. And it, I mean, at that point it's obvious. It's like, okay, I just got to shoot everything in here and get the loot at the end. And
1: yeah, the, the curtain is pulled back. Right. And at Mm -hmm. that point it it's like, why am I doing this then? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you know, we talked about what's the reward for doing that and the reward for doing that wasn't even great. Um, it's, yeah, it's something, you know, they do go on in in two and three to, to really realize that in a, in a better way. Kind of like the way The Witcher does where the, mm-hmm. the side quests don't feel like side quests. It just feels like a part of the world. And so they get there, but we're not talking about where do they go, we're talking about what they gave and it wasn't good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Dude, the Witcher I watched a I watched someone play it for probably twenty hours or so on YouTube. And the thing that was most interesting to me was the I think it's the Baron side quest or the bloody yeah, baron or bloody something baron. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And just being really fascinated by that. And uh Best so that's game of all time. Best <laughs> of all time. <laughs> we need to do it eventually, Man, yeah.
1: It's so fucking good.
0: We really need to do it because that's another one that I missed and I'm sure there'll be down the road like a remaster or something like that and yeah. that would be a good time to revisit it. Yeah, it seems like The Witcher is a good example of how to do yeah. that. Um, they do
1: it really well. Yep.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think... When it comes to side stuff, the way to do it is, the bad way to do it is just to not make it intrinsic to the main quest or to, it's obviously not part of the main quest. And that creates a number of problems. I think narratively it's like, it's urgent, Captain, that you get to this outpost right away and then it's like, oh, let me just stop here and deal with this other thing first it's like okay well, maybe it wasn't so urgent that i right get the, to reapers, the main quest.
1: <laughs> the reapers are about to eviscerate all life in the universe but this rogue ai over here is causing problems for yeah. our lab research so if you could check that out on your way like
0: exactly What the yeah. fuck? yeah yeah it's like yeah um and i think it. it sounds like the second game fixes that
1: yeah. The, and the way they do it too is something I think you'd appreciate is that it has to do with the relationships of the side characters, even if mm-hmm. they're not in your party. Um, it's, it's that world building aspect where it really flushes out like different races or people and, you know, like conflicts. Um, and it feels like it has, it has an impact on the world uh, instead of just like telling me it has an impact on the world. Right. Yeah. Like this this AI, you have to fix this AI instead. It's like you have to help this researcher, you know. I can't remember. There's there's one there's a cool solarian mission, but anyway, yeah. They get there.
0: I think Suicoden is like the number well, the Witcher. It sounds like it's for you, it's the Witcher. Among games I've played, Suicoden is the number one example of how to get this right because there's basically one side quest in the whole game which is recruiting characters for your army and you can choose to do it and if so by the end of the game um they'll be you'll you'll feel like a full strength kind of like army who's ready to meet the the opposing army the bad guys like in battle on equal footing or you can play it where you don't really bother with the recruitment of characters and it feels like you're kind of like a ragtag bunch you know, like of of uh, castoffs and weirdos and criminals and and people like that who were just trying, like somehow, getting by by the seat of your pants. And both are legitimate experiences. And also the reward in Suriko, and if you get all the the characters is really good. And I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, like you were saying, it's, like, it's a lot of the times when you do these massive hex quests, it's like you get a upgrade for your heat sink on your weapon yeah. or something like that it's just like who who cares whereas in final fantasy 7 i will breed a gold chocobo to get the knights of the round mm-hmm. summon which is like the best summon in the game so yeah it has i mean what are what are some other things that uh bug you about it
1: i mean there's like the uh, there's the stuff that Anyone who touches it is going to know or it's already been written about, which is like the Mako sucks, (laughs) um, like control. And it's actually better now than it was then. Like they made changes to it. Um, they, uh, what else was I just going to say? Like the, the shooting is kind of clunky for as much as it matters. Like the combat, Mm -hmm. um, kind of gets in its own way. Um, and again, it's better now. The inventory management, you know, it was it was a it was a pain then. It was something that stood out. Um, I mean, it has a lot of things, you know, that were just like really it, was, it got in its way. the 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 load times were just terrible then. Like, and mm-hmm. you know, you playing it now on new hardware, they're fast, and it's like, oh my god, this is so much better. But I remember sitting here for a full minute, you know, and it's just
0: takes you out of the game completely. It does.
1: Yeah. And it it yeah.
0: Yeah, it it, it sort of raises the question. I think we've talked about this and with other games on the podcast, but it's like what version is the real Mass Effect? Is there any such version? Mm-hmm. Right because I I guarantee if I had played this with the original load times, I would have had a much worse opinion of it just because I mean, I don't mind a, a long load time at the beginning, or right. like um, like Dragon Quest Builders is a game that when I played it on Switch, the load time when I would start it for the first time, it would, it's like more than a minute of just sitting there. I mean, there.
1: yeah, Subnautica, right? Like Subnautica,
0: horrible, huge first load thing. time. Oh. Yeah,
1: and it got worse the more you played. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you really recognize that, but like the the first load time you have is the shortest one, and like because they're loading all the fucking assets at the end game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But again, didn't matter. Right. Because it was one load and you're good. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll pay that cost. Yeah. This is, this is just like needling you. Like it was bad. Yeah.
0: So, uh, it, it, yeah. I mean, it's like, we're talking, I guess, I mean, I guess you just say this is the definitive version. And, uh, but I mean, I, I think you can take the question in more extreme, Places, and say if you're playing an old action game like Mega Man X or something, and that it's like brutally hard, Mm -hmm. and if you use save states to just, you know, get past a certain part by banging your head against the wall until you until you do it, versus having to die and go back to the beginning of the level, are you really playing Mega Man X? Are you?
1: It's it's a really I think it's a really interesting question. Because I can see two sides of it. I love like I love these kind of things, right? Where one side of it is the gatekeeping side, which is total fucking bullshit. Like we don't need <laughs> that ever, right? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, did you? But did you play the real Mega Man? It's like go fuck yourself, right? Yeah. Like, um, and the other part of it is like genuinely asking, like, what is the experience, you know, that that you're that you're having with it, and does and is that important to what the game offers and the problem is i think the answer is it depends on the game yeah you know like uh, like a game i'll just keep picking on mega man like yeah doing the save state thing can you get the same uh well i guess Mega Man's a bad one to, to pick like i'm trying to think of something that does actually offer something and if altering the way that you play it with save states or something like that does that change what the game delivers. And I, I think it actually doesn't because it goes back to the subjective analysis of a game. And it's like, can it give you the thing that you need from it?
0: Right. It's I mean, it's like the impact or the, what you should be getting out of Mega Man is like the feeling of charging up the timing mechanism of charging up the Mm -hmm. blaster, the sort of like very heavy feeling of the way Mega Man moves. Right. Um, the, memorizing enemy patterns right. which you still have to do if you save state but you just do it on a much faster less frustrating basis mm-hmm. um but how about another game that we're playing right now final fantasy 8 it's like is it the same game if you turn off the battles to just get through parts that you find annoying i don't know it's different with every game and
1: it is but But it—that's the weird thing, right? Is it's different with every game, but it does—they all kind of go back to some like core of—and I don't know if it's like a nostalgia thing. I don't, you know, or—but there is something about it, right? Where i I was was—I'm playing Final Fantasy VIII, and I'm half the time I'm not using the speed up and the skip battles because I'm like, oh, this isn't the real experience, and I can—I can tap into that feeling even though I didn't play it then, Mm -hmm. of being how what you know, whatever a teenager. You know mm-hmm. where I was and like what I'm experiencing then and I'm I'm feeling the feeling of gaming then I'm it's not even about the game itself and so there's like an ability to tap into that of like oh I had so much time that I could watch this summon mm-hmm. every freaking time and you know and enjoy it mm-hmm. um, versus now and it's like I it's not about snobbery it's like I, I'll never finish this game if I don't speed this up mm-hmm. like um <sighs>
0: it is different with every game i mean i'm playing uh, there there are examples where a game will be ruined by modern updates or like just not substantially be the same game like i remember like i played the Final Fantasy 9 you could not barely call it a remaster because they ported it to iphone mm-hmm. and so- android and then they used that port to port it to consoles like Switch and, and there's really Brutal. nasty stuff in it like it it will advise you when you're entering a character's name that you can't use emoji and it <laughs> like they just left that in it's like we don't we don't give a shit yeah here's your here's your final fantasy 9 port um yeah. but there's other stuff in the game that it's like the movement isn't fully analog and it, it is also not in the final fantasy 8 remaster that you're playing but it it makes the movement of just running around the towns and stuff which is the core of the game in a lot of ways feel a lot less smooth. Um, the graphics, there is horrendous input lag on, mm. on those that uh, we're, I mean, we're getting way off topic, but the point is yeah. like, yeah, it's different for every game. In the case of mass effect, I think what they've done is you're, you're playing substantially the same game. It's the game that they would have made if they had the option to at the time, I think the visual design is like in the visual aesthetic are mostly preserved. It's just, you're enjoying it with less load time.
1: Yeah. And, and enjoy. And, and I think there is something with games too, where it's, you know, they're making it, they're trying to make it, they're not going out of their way, but they're fixing some of the things where it got in its own way in terms of playing the game. Right. Like, and we talked about this, uh, I don't know what, game we talked about this on right but it's this thing where actually might have been our first episode of making a game for gamers versus making a game for people being the breath of the wild yeah oh breath of the wild right and it's like can anyone play this and really the answer for most games is no Mm -hmm. but if a game is re-released and they inch closer towards yes that I say that it doesn't offend it doesn't um, violate the rule of is it the same game I was like yep it's the same game it's just now more accessible and it's not you know again you can get all sorts of like details of like did they make it easier blah 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 but I, they didn't do this here so i think i think you're playing i think you played the real mass effect
0: mm-hmm.
1: you just had the benefit of not having to deal with some of the bullshit
0: mhm yeah, that's what that's what remaster should be about. And that right. you're totally right. It's like the the number one objective should be making it more accessible. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I want to pivot into the thing that I really don't like about the game, and that it has a a number of merits that I've gone through, and uh, you know, Brandon feels strongly about the game too. I think for me, though it above all i think it more than it being a shooting game um more than it being an rpg i think it most of all inspires aspires sorry to be a cinematic game mm-hmm. because you spend so much time in conversation with other characters and they just straight up borrow the sort of classic like film technique of doing this shot reverse shot camera thing where it's like you're looking over the shoulder of the person who's being talked to at the person who's talking and then it flips when the other person talks Um, I mean that's just a a direct like reference to, to film right and I think what it does even with the remaster is it shows first of all the age of the visual design yeah and they were just Using polygons and lighting to make something that looked as real as possible, mm-hmm. based on the the technology that they had. And, that's like
1: that's like the two thousands summed like perfectly for video mm-hmm. games, right? Like that was the whole trap that they fell into.
0: Mm-hmm. They could yeah. do all this stuff now, and and they're like, here now we can finally do it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, Mass Effect is is among a handful of games that might be presented as Exhibit A for games that tried to do this. And uh, it, I just happen to be playing the Final Fantasy XII remaster. The it's called Final Fantasy XII: The Zodiac Age, and I think it's an interesting point of comparison because it it is a game that came out only a year before the original Mass Effect. Mm -hmm. remastered you know sort of around the same time and i think if you're listening right now it's worth just going and looking at some final fantasy 12 cutscenes and then comparing them to what mass effect those dialogue sections look like there's a lot
1: put that link in the show notes because i think that would be an interesting like because when you show that to me i i totally understood what you're talking about Mm -hmm. um We talked about. I think we talked about this in Katamari. Is when you have an intentional stylization, and like Final Fantasy XII does, Mm -hmm. it really it it protects itself from aging in a way that Mass Effect did not. When you're trying to push for you know the cutting edge and it looks hyper realistic and blah blah, um, it 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 falls on its face later on because it doesn't have its own safe uh, style that it can lean on.
0: Yeah, it. I mean, you know what game is still going to look amazing in 15 years breath of the wild yeah still gonna look great Yep, has its own unique visual design um that is it's gonna look great upscaled you know Mm -hmm. that because there's a lot of fantasy and the it's aesthetic right and you which can be enjoyed no matter what generation you're looking at it from whereas mass effect you look at it now and it's just like man those mouth movements just look so horrendous
1: <laughs> it's gonna get more and more yeah it's, it's just gonna get worse over time right like the uncanny it's not the uncanny valley anymore it becomes just like the shop of horrors like mm-hmm. what is happening like what is this creepy thing you looked at you know this mm-hmm. ter- like um it's it's not quite there now but it, it had glimpses of it in 2007 and it's more apparent now, and yeah, in twenty years, it's it's gonna be laugh. It's gonna be like, oh well, wow, this is this is really bad. Yeah, it's um, it yeah. is
0: it is a thing, and it's weird because, like, I went back and read some contemporary reviews, and people were like, "This game is top quality in terms of mm-hmm. being a cinematic game." It's like the mouth movements are very believable, and the just to look at it now, they're just not. They look horrible. And the thing is, still nobody has figured this out. right. I mean, I think I think it's like if you made a short list of like what are the most graphically ambitious games where people have put the most effort into making a game look like the real world with real characters, Death stranding would be on that list. Mm-hmm. And if you watch cutscenes of that game and you look at the mouth movements, they look like shit. <laughs> yeah for for all for all the effort that's put toward it, just watch it and just look at the mouths. Yeah and and that's a game that you know I'm gonna play it coming up here and I'm gonna have a good time with it. I know, um, but it, they hired real actors and like digitally replicated them. Right. It's gonna look laughable in 20 years, guaranteed. So. You know i think i don't know if you can think of other examples of of games like that but i thought the i think the final fantasy 12 um comparison is a really good one because if you look at the way the dialogue scenes are presented in that game it yeah. does some kind of video gamey stuff where it never does the mass effect shot reverse shot thing it's always you're sort of the cameras, like showing the environment, showing the other characters that are involved in the conversation, like just sort of sitting in the background. It's zoomed out, so that yeah. you you don't see the mouth movements as much. And like you were saying, it protects itself in that way.
1: Yeah, I, you know, it when games do this, like that. That right there, when you say this ambitious thing, like we want to make. An ambitious cinematic experience, blah, blah blah. You're making a video game. Like, why are you trying mm-hmm. to make a movie? Like, don't do that, right? Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, yes, it, it was the 2000s, so you got to get there. So I'm not, I'm not gonna ding them for that totally. Um, but you know, games were figuring out their way of, like, well, what does it mean for games then, right? And you think of uh, like The Last of Us or even like Splinter Cell when they started superimposing text onto buildings and like into the game world Mm -hmm. you know there's a reason that kind of causes a stir it was like oh we're not we're not doing the thing that movies do we're doing we don't have to like the the reason movies do it that way is because of a limitation of of storytelling whereas in gaming like in that final fantasy cutscene, you can fly the camera around the room you know you're not Mm -hmm. stuck to shot 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 and you know all the rules that they have about you can't break this plane because then you'll confuse the viewer and Mm -hmm. um yeah so uh, uh, yeah i think this is an artifact of that of that that outset to be cinematic and it's like no dude be a video game like we can yes like yeah
0: and 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 the you can see the philosophy at work right down to the the way the characters are rendered it's literally just taking polygons and lighting and trying to make A real person yeah and go ahead sorry
1: no no I just it's just I'm just thinking about that right is the like the litmus test for it at the time uh, my mother-in-law was around and uh, was watching me play this game Mm -hmm. and she was kind of you know ripping on it and, (laughs) and just like even just the way that they stand their stature is very like uh static you know they look very like like a, like a pole was jammed up their spine. Uh, They look very stiff Mm -hmm. and she would rip on it then. And she wasn't just being a troll. Like she was right, you know, and from an outsider to look at that, then it still stands today. Um, It just doesn't, yeah, it just doesn't work.
0: That's That's, that hurts to have the mother-in-law come in and it's like, you're sort of building relationships with some of the characters <laughs> and she just points out the yeah. the part of the game that you're trying to ignore and pretend right. isn't there. Yeah. Right. Um I think yeah, Final Fantasy 12 handles the way it depicts characters very well because it it's like if they're using these weird kinds of ways of maybe drawing is like rendering characters i think where like if you look at a character from the front their front looks like a static image that is like not i i'm sure there's some lighting going on but it's like you can tell the shading hmm. isn't generated by like a lighting engine or something it's like drawn on the character yeah yeah
1: it's just a texture right it's not a there's not a depth map or anything to it it's just a flat texture
0: yeah Yeah, and somehow it just looks looks so much better and more kind Mm -hmm. of artful and uh i think visually confident because it's kind of a weird technique but you're like yeah this is what we're gonna make work Mm -hmm. um yeah The just the overall effect is i think it's hard to argue it's much nicer in final fantasy 12 Versus this game, which again are contemporaries that came out almost the exact same time, right? So, so it leads me to my next question: It's like, what is going to be required to make this cinematic game that everyone is trying to make? And it's no longer, it's. I mean, that's what Final Fantasy is doing now with Final Fantasy VII remake. It's it's just like meant to look like real mm-hmm. people with really shitty hair in the case of Cloud. <laughs> but that's a different uh yeah, different uh discussion, but it's like what let's say let's say we're in 2007, what do we need from a resource perspective to make this happen? To make the cinematic game of everyone's dreams at that time. I think you need way better voice actors like i'm sorry but the best voice actors in the game are the pros they're it's seth green and keith david and i think the guy who voices rex is also really good and i don't know i played as the male shepherd shepherd yeah um he's he's like i think okay or pretty good but it it doesn't feel like it's on the level of like a Hollywood film or something like that which again I think the game sort of took some cues from
1: yeah I feel like the dialogue tree got in the way of the voice acting too right again it's that the whole like this is where they're munging two things together that don't munge Mm -hmm. and you're trying to have the cinematic experience and then you're chopping up the dialogue because the player has to make choices and then the delivery of it you know, there's a timing to, to dialogue into a conversation, and they don't always fit that, and so mm-hmm. then it can sound really hollow or, uh, yeah, unemotional.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you have you'll have the thing where uh, there's only so much you can do in a game. there's always going to be. I mean, what is the what is the number that one of the developers I saw put on like the amount of text in the game? Yeah. I'm looking at it right now featured about 400,000 words and more than 20,000 lines of spoken dialogue. According to this guy, I think it was the writer. This is roughly the equivalent of 20 movies or four to five, four novels, full novels. Sorry, not four novels. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're you're just gonna as the a result of that, you're gonna have something like the same, like Shepard says the same line every time he exits a conversation. I have to go, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of become a meme because it's funny because it's stupid. Yep. Um. I mean, it, it, how else can you get Mass Effect there? The lip movements have have got to be better. No one, the only people to have figured that out are Naughty Dog in The Last of Us, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, That's the one game that I've seen, even on PS, like the PS3. I saw that and I was like, wow, they're getting it. They're getting pretty damn close. But then I see Death Stranding and I'm like, they're still not getting it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The way the character's eyes look is really bad.
1: Oh, man. Eyes are great. Stare.
0: Yeah, just the the (laughs) weird stare. That's like I was telling you about that one instance where I was talking to the reporter Emily Wong, and it's like a normal conversation. And she goes to leave, and she's like, "Okay, thanks, Commander," (laughs) and she walks off. Supposed to be normal, but the look she has on her face because of her weird eyes is like, you just you just said something extremely alarming. And she's going to tell the police right now. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh,
1: I punched her. You punched her in the game? And <laughs> punched her. And it was, it was sh- you ask like, what are those moments you remember? And that's what I remember because it shocked me. Where it was like, I, I don't even remember it. And, you know, maybe I misread <laughs> the cues. I don't know. I, I don't think I was trying to be malicious. But I was like, I got to go. Like, Uh I'm done with this conversation. And I think that's what the prompt was like. I'm done with this. Yeah. And Shepard, you know, of course, like, you go back to this voice acting thing. Like, here we're having this conversation. And all of a sudden, he's like, I'm sick of your questions. And he decks her. And.
0: Holy shit. I was like,
1: what? Like, I'm not playing a renegade. I uh, I don't. Maybe it was a renegade choice. I don't remember. But I was just like.
0: Totally didn't intend that, <laughs> for that to happen
1: intended like anyway that's so it's it's funny that we have um very memorable moments of the same character for, uh-huh. for different reasons but um
0: dude that's yeah. hilarious because it's yeah. like with that the the illusion is shattered it's like yep oh, man. i'm playing a video game you know <laughs> yeah because it I, it it probably felt like it came out of nowhere right
1: it really did. I mean, I was, I was like, totally. Sh- I'm pretty sure that was, yeah, that wasn't this playthrough. That was my first playthrough. But, uh,
0: yeah, man, that's so good.
1: It was good. It was good.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like going back to the eye thing and the lip thing and not accidentally punching someone thing. It's like those aren't problems that films have to solve. Mm-hmm. So you're you're not only trying to do something that's extremely hard. You're trying to do an even harder version of the thing that you're trying to emulate, right? Um, so you know, and yeah. and and I think the like the typical response to this is like, well, hey, man, it's two thousand and seven. So of course it's gonna have problems, and it's like, yeah, but it I think that's what holds this game back from being timeless is that you can't show it... You couldn't even show it to your mother-in-law in 2007, mm-hmm. so you sure as hell can't show it to someone now and not have them be like, why does that guy look so weird with his eyes? Right. You know? Oh, I don't know. I just... Like... I just don't get what is gained by this. Like, trying to make these cinematic movie games. Um, do we... Do you think, let me ask you this, do you think in 2050, if someone walks into a room and looks at whatever the Elder Scrolls game is at that point, or Final Fantasy 20 or something, mm-hmm. are they gonna go, hey, you're watching a movie? What movie is this?
1: And and have that be a mark of like success?
0: Do you think that'll it, yeah. even happen? Do you think we'll get to that point where people I don't think will so.
1: be I think I think, you know, graphically We'll get to the point where maybe you can't tell, but I don't think it'll get to the point where someone's saying you're watching a movie because my, well, my hope, sure. There will be the things where it's like people want to have a, a walking sim type thing. And so when graphics are that good, that's basically a movie. Right. Um, but aside from that little corner, I think gaming has more to offer in the future as it, as it grows in terms of what you can do with dialogue branches and interactions
0: Absolutely. where
1: it, it, it should, it can look as real as real life, but it will clearly stand out as a video game because of the dynamicism to it versus mm-hmm. a movie, which is, you know, uh, incapable of the choose your own adventure, mm-hmm. uh, aspects. So
0: that, right. That's important. We, we cannot lose out on we cannot forget the things that only games can do right
1: and right? I, my yeah i would hope and i think the way it's trending is that they'll as they mature develop their own sense of that and then offer that to a greater extent and well they'll only diverge from movies even more
0: mm-hmm. um, so i hope I, you're yeah, right
1: yeah. yeah i need that to be true <laughs>
0: Yeah, same. Like, I don't want to lose the stuff. Like, we were playing Final Fantasy 8 at your place the other day, and that scene came up where it's early <laughs> on in the game, and uh, they they want to be cinematic, and so, but they are butting up against the very rudimentary levels of the PlayStation. And there is that they want to convey to you the relationship between Quistis and Squall. Right, which is she, they want to present to you that Quistus reads Squall like a book and she has him completely figured out and can even finish his sentences. And, but they're, they've got text boxes instead of voice acting, right? So the way they convey that is they have Squall start to say something and then he's suddenly cut off his text box is overlapped by Quistus's suddenly appearing text box where she finishes his sentence Mm -hmm. for him. That stuff is so charming and so such a cool example of something that you can't get in any other medium. And I just don't want to lose that that kind of stuff, and I'm worried that the closer and closer we get to the point of singularity or whatever... Mm The more that stuff will go away. Maybe it's only in in Indies at that point.
1: I think, yeah, I think it'll just it'll shift, right? Where we have the like that you're talking about, where it's it's the text box might go away, but it will take form in, in some other way. Um, mm-hmm. where you can you can convey things not just through a human means that we're used to, but uh, using, you know, whatever the 2070 version of a dialogue prompt is um, in a game mm-hmm. to, con- to convey something further. Um, yeah, because like, it is. It's something... I think doing it in a non-conventional way, it leaves... It's like breadcrumbs, you know, for a different type of storytelling where you might not even notice it at first, what's happening, right? Um, I don't what,
0: know. Ab- what about... What about solutions that are or what about creativity being bred from constraint? Does that go totally. away? Uh
1: I don't think so because I think ambition will always grow, right? I mean, even today like it's not like we're reaching a point where people are saying like, oh, we can't we can't fill these discs anymore. You know, like, oh, there's like, the worlds are are not getting any bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Breath of the Wild or uh, what's that game that's never going to come out? Elite Dangerous. (laughs) Um, Like (laughs) it. Yeah. Like it's possible to recreate a game from 15 years ago today with tons of improvements, but creating the game today, you're, you're pushing up against the edge of, of what's available. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't see that going away. I think that's a human thing. I think humans are always going to use more space than they actually have. And that's true in a digital sense too.
0: Mm-hmm. Damn, I hope you're right. I think, yeah, I, yeah. Can we keep text boxes though?
1: I don't think text boxes are going to stay, bro. I'm sorry. I don't think so. Man. I know you you love like you love your text adventures and you love like you're you, you appreciate that and I think I think I that's like, an old man gamer thing.
0: Yeah, I want to read text. Like, yeah, I like I like Twitter more than Instagram. Right. For example, Twitter is the only social media site that I would ever go to because I just want to read text and not look at images really. But Anyway, that's another conversation. I feel like we have pretty much wrapped got this up. Yeah. yeah.
1: Good game. Yeah. Super good game. Super important game. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know though, man. I, so it's not a best for you, right? That's that's we got that, right?
0: Yeah, it's not.
1: I don't know. I don't know. Like I, it's hard for me to say it's not, mm-hmm. but I can't say that it is because I'm like when I look at it. It's like I want to say like this is an important game. It's one of the it's it is one of the best games because it's like we needed this to happen. Mm-hmm. And it did it in a good way. Mhm. But that doesn't mean that it's the best. So I guess, yeah, I guess I'm going to say no. I'm going to say it's not, but
0: I just yeah. think I just I mean for me it's like hey, if this game went ahead, text boxes, maybe we're talking. <laughs> but when I when I see the weird like bug eyes and like the funny mouth movements and like the weird ambassador guy, who's just sounds like he's constantly yeah. yelling. Like he's I'm sure, I'm sure if you're listening to this ambassador, Udina voice actor, dude, I'm sorry, but like, it's, you just sound like you're yelling <laughs> in a way that it feels like inappropriate for yeah. the, you know, I, it just has,
1: like, I was always pissed off. Like, yeah. I was, yeah. yeah. Constant state of rage. Uh, in a way
0: that's like, yeah, it's like the scene doesn't call for it or his characters and yeah. not call. I don't know. Um, yeah, it, there's just too much dumb video game stuff in it where it's just like, yeah, this looks stupid to, to look at it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm good with saying like super awesome game, but like this is a space that someone else could fill and make the best game of all time. It's like, the, it didn't, it didn't hit the mark. It didn't, it, it's going back to that subjective thing of like, yeah, I got some good memories out of it, but it didn't do the thing where I'm like, this is forever. Mm-hmm. This is, this is for me forever. So.
0: Yeah. Nope. And Hey, look, that's still possible. Like I didn't play Katamari Damacy until yeah last year. And it, is one of my favorite games that I've ever played. It's it's absolutely possible to do that, to make a game at that time and have no nostalgia right. associated with it and go back and play it later and have it have it still stand out as being very good and and one of the best ever. You know, I like Mario three more than Sonic, mm-hmm. even though I grew up as a Sonic kid because when I play it as an adult, Mario three is better than Sonic One or Sonic Two. Mm-hmm um i'm sorry but mass effect just has those problems that that we talked about
1: yeah no apologies it's it's a solid game but it's not the best yeah not the best ever yeah
0: yeah so uh thanks for listening everyone uh if you enjoyed the podcast we would appreciate it if you would leave us a review on whatever your podcast listening app of choice is um, we have a website that we update sometimes, (laughs) but it hasn't been updated in a while, but you can still go to it. It's um, bestgamesofalltimepodcast.com. You can email the show at bestgamespod at gmail.com, and we might respond to your email on the show if you want us to do that. Um, And... We got other stuff cooking. We might be on different platforms here coming up in a little bit. We don't know what game we're going to do next at this point, but uh, please stay tuned for another episode. We'll try to be back in a month or so. Thanks for listening.
1: Right on. Thanks, y'all.